We're on the seventh or so sermon on this idea of hope. And uh, we're going to talk about Moses. And we're going to talk about his parents putting him in a basket. Which in, in case some of you are like, I love to put my kid in a basket and float him down the river. That's not what, this is a different context. We just want to be clear about it. And then um, the writer of Hebrews spends a little bit of time talking about Moses' parents and then decisions Moses made uh, after growing up in, in uh, Pharaoh's palace in Egypt. So we're going to lean into that this morning. So why don't you stand to your feet one more time? We do that to honor God's word. And we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to go to Exodus chapter 2 and actually read a bit of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 23. Are you ready? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, and he endured as seeing him, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And then we'll go down to Exodus, or we'll back all the way up to Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now this is the actual narrative of the story that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could no, should hide him no longer, she took him for, took him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the riverbank. As, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Father, we thank you. God, that a little bit of faith can have unbelievable ramifications. And we ask you this morning, Lord, that our hope our eternal hope would cause us to operate that way. You told us the faith, the side of a, of a seed could move mountains. So we ask you to put that in our hearts this morning. 
that you are capable and we're called to believe that and operate in it and make decisions based on it. And we thank you for this this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. This is a little bit of a wild story when you start thinking about it. If you back up a little bit to get the context of why Moses' mother put him in a basket. If you back way up, you remember there was a guy named Joseph who was sold into slavery by his 12, by his 11 brothers and, and um, 10 brothers. And they sold him into slavery and, and they were irritated because he got a coat of many colors and his dad liked him and he was the youngest at the time and... And um, so there's some jealousy there. He didn't help it out very well by telling everybody his dream. Sometimes when you dream, you should just keep your mouth shut. So he would go to his brothers and basically tell them a dream, which meant he would rule over them one day. And how, do, how many of you know if you had an older brother, five or six, seven years older than you, and you went over him and said, I'll be your boss, punk, um, <laughs> that he was probably going to beat you down, right? Well, back then, they didn't beat you down. They sold you into slavery. So the story of Joseph, you can go back and read it in Genesis, walks through this time. And, and all, the, all the Hebrew people end up, all, all the people from Joseph's family, uh, his brothers, everybody, even his father for a time, end up in the land of Egypt because of a great famine. Well, they end up being there a long, long time. They don't leave. They stay there. And once we get to this story in Exodus, we find out that the Hebrews had been growing in population and number and, and the Egyptians were afraid of them outsizing them. They could get to the place at one point in time where their numbers were so great that they could rebel and, and, and cause the Egyptians problems. And so Pharaoh came up with a, with a pretty cool idea, just kill all the little kids. And you thought it was brutal today. So he says, we'll kill all the, the boys and... Um, and he, he puts his decree out, and the midwives were given the, were given the orders to do this. And he was checking in one day and said, hey, how's it going? And they said, well, well we're having trouble because they, they give birth so fast we can't get there. And they said the Hebrew women are so vigorous that they give birth so fast that, that we can't get there in time. And they were actually just covering it all up. And so, but it, but it didn't, it didn't. It didn't quell Pharaoh's idea. He doubled down on it. And, um, and now Moses is born in the middle of this whole scenario. So what you find out about Moses' parents is they're both uh, from the tribe of Levi. And, uh, and they had this baby. And, and just like a lot of parents, uh, they look down at their kids as a newborn and think they're beautiful. Now, evidently, Moses was a very good-looking child because, um, because it's commented several times in the Bible about how, how much of a good-looking child he was. And so um, that's not to mean that all the ugly kids were tossed aside. But they're try- the, the writer the, in Exodus and in he- the writer of Hebrews is trying to give you a little context about what's going on in the mind of the mother at the time. This is a... God, you've given me this beautiful child. So she hides him for three months. 
The exact opposite of what any of us would do. When the pretty kid comes along, you, I mean, you take pictures of them. Put them on Facebook, Instagram. They got their own page. And, and so because of what was going on culturally at the time and in the edict from Pharaoh, uh, she hides him until she can't anymore. And, um, and then there comes a decision that has to be made. Now, some of you that are familiar with the story might think that this is just some random thing that she does. But I think a, a closer look at the text finds out they were a little more calculated than, you, than we give them credit at times. So it seems like when we hear it in Sunday school class when we were children, uh, Moses' mother just gets a basket, um, kind of waterproofs it with some flex seal. I mean, that would be a great thing. This would make Moses' basket float. Um, she, she seals it up. She puts him in there, kind of covers it. And, and the story I grew up with is she just pushed him down the river. And then you start reading a little more of the detail and you find out that Moses' older sister Miriam is actually down in the river watching where he goes. And then just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter and her entourage are down in the river taking a bath. And now you start to see the calculation. Hey, we can't hide this child anymore. Miriam, go down the river a little bit. Watch him as he comes. And isn't it ironic that as soon as Pharaoh's daughter sees him kind of caught up in the reeds, and she says, hey, there's a basket down there. Hey, check out. Hey, hey, go, go down and see what the basket is about. And, she, and, and one of her servant ladies goes down and grabs a basket and finds out it's a baby. And then Miriam is right there. Hey, you know what? You want me to find somebody to nurse that thing for you? And then she goes and gets her mother. And what we see here is the first, is, it's like she's getting paid to nurse her own child. Ladies. All of you are like, I'll put my baby in the basket. It's crazy, isn't it? All these, it would be a... It's like a movie, all these twists and turns. And, and so now, now Moses is being nursed by his own mother. And then after he's weaned, he goes in to, to live in the palace. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine Miriam's inner circle of friends? Don't mess with me. My kid lives over there. Like, like my kid lives in the palace. That'd have been crazy, wouldn't it? Could you imagine sitting around years later talking about the story? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? They're joking around the dinner table going, you put that kid in a basket. And he grew up in the palace. Moses grows up. And the writer of Hebrews alludes to the circumstance where he starts to realize comes to comes an understanding of who he is. He starts to get a glimpse of God's calling on his life. Not the full calling on his life, but he starts to realize that he's not just called to be to be an adopt, adopted into an Egyptian um, 
a descendant of Pharaoh by adoption. He's, he realizes he's not just called to do that. And he goes out and he sees the mistreatment of his people. He's beginning to understand where he's from and who he's a part of. And he sees this mistreatment of his people. And it, and it, it says he goes out and, he, and he's seeing a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian slave master. And, and he kills him. He kills him. Now, now, at face value, that seems like a heroic thing to do. That seems amazing. That seems like he's defending his own people. All the, uh, but the problem is his own people don't realize he's them. They have no indication. He didn't do a political campaign before and say, ah, I'm one of you, vote for me. No, he just goes out in a sort of haphazard way and tries to like full throttle associate with them in the most in the most in, in, in the boldest statement you can make i'm going to defend you now well it's interpreted differently because he goes out a little bit later to separate some hebrews that were fighting with each other and they start like hey are you going to do the same thing to us moses becomes fearful it ends up coming to find out people find out what he did and he has to flee he chooses to flee and the writer of Hebrews said that he would rather face affliction like Christ than to stay and, and get the benefits of Egypt. So we're going to talk about this. It's really two, two different scenarios we're going to talk about. Moses' parents and then Moses' decision to leave Egypt. Listen to me. If you're a parent, you're going to be a parent. You're thinking about being a parent. You're already a parent. Um, you wish you weren't a parent, whatever, wherever you're at. The beautiful thing about faith, when we have hope in the future, you can think about Moses' mother saying, my hope is that he makes it. My hope is that he's not like other Hebrew children that have been, that have been cast aside because of the lawfare made my hope. And so they start to act out on that hope, which we call faith. Amen? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. That's the first step. They hid him for three months because they saw the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the unbelievable part here is that the writer of Hebrew gives you a, an insight into why the parents did what they did. Because he was beautiful. They hid him for three months because he was beautiful. And you say, well, Chris, that's not mountain moving faith. It was enough to hide him. So sometimes we shortchange ourselves and we, gotta, and we think, well, I have, enough, I have to have enough faith to do this big giant thing. And I have to have enough faith and I just don't. And I don't know where to start. And I don't know what to do. And, and I, I wish I had enough faith to, to just step out and be like those people. And I wish I had enough faith to do this. And I wish I had enough faith to do this. All they had enough faith to do was hide the kid at that time. Could you imagine what that looked like? Every time you walk in the house, he's crying. Make him quiet. Sometimes exercising your faith is nerve wracking, isn't it? But I'm glad they put this in there. I'm glad that the writer of Hebrews doesn't say, and they had the mountain moving faith to put their kid in a basket and float it down the river. No, it, 
in reality, it just looked like a little teeny bit of faith that they said, oh, you know, if we could just hide him for three, if we could just hide him for a while, if we could just keep him quiet for a while, if we could just hide him for a while. And then the whole time you can like in the background, you can kind of feel the tension about, we got to figure out what to do. We got to figure out what to do. And then it seems to me that there's this plot devised. Miriam, we're going to get the basket together. No, don't get that one. That one's going to sink. Get one that'll float. And we just say, put it all together. You can imagine sitting late at night by, by a lamp, putting the basket together, getting the pitch on it, maybe testing it out a little bit. Man, look, it floats. Hopefully Moses was a small baby. Put one of the 14-pounders in there. You got to have a big basket that'll, you know, and they, and they get the basket together and you can hear the mother going, Miriam, what I want you to do is we, we know, we know, we know Pharaoh's daughter comes down about 10 o'clock in the morning. She's a late riser. You know how they are. Maybe, uh, maybe you go down a bit on the river. Maybe just walk along the bank. You, you're familiar with them. You work, you're, you're around them. Um, maybe you can just walk. I'm going to set him in the water. And as it flows down, you keep an eye on it. If I go down, it's going to look obvious. You keep an eye on it. And then when it gets down there, make sure, make sure you're around them so that you can give them the advice. And, and, and one day they just pull it off. One day they have enough faith to go, God, we got a plan, but we need you to help with the execution. Because really right now we're rolling the dice. We don't know if it's going to work or not. Sometimes it's just the one thing at a time, isn't it? Faith is not grandiose at times. Faith is not um, doing something big. Faith is, faith is sometimes just doing what you can in the moment. I don't have any other option. We're just hide the kid right now. We're just going to protect him. We're just hide the kid and protect him. And then, and then, and then okay, n- now the next step is we can't. That's not working anymore, so we got to figure out another plan. And it's just taking that next step. And it doesn't look like it's going to be something crazy. It doesn't look like it's going to turn out like some unbelievable thing. You, nobody's thinking, I'm going to put the kid in the water, and then he's going to lead us all out of Egypt. That's not on their minds. And so you see this little step of faith and, and then what it turns into in a generation. And it ends up being unbelievable, amen? It ends up being unbelievable. And the thing that I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is you can never anticipate how much that first little step, what it will turn into. You can't, it, it's, it's impossible to calculate it in your head what God can actually do. When you hide the child, when you, when you build the basket and these things seem small and insignificant, but they turn into a nation being freed from slavery. So in a world of, um, viral videos and big things, sometimes it seems like the little thing we do isn't amounting to anything. And I want to encourage you this morning. You have no idea what it's going to amount to. There's no way you can fathom what God will do with a little step of faith. So I want to encourage you, parents. I 
I also, just as a side note, think we are in a moment where we should be building baskets for our children. Can I just, can I just take, a, take a detour for a second? Now, there's no, there hasn't been a king decree that, that, that we should just get rid of them. But, but if ever before, if ever before, we should be protecting our kids. Come on. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm, I'm state, stating the culture we live in. The culture we live in is arguably as dangerous now for children as it was back then. And as followers of Christ, we need to understand that it could take a small step of faith to go turn the TV off. A small step of faith to say, put the game controller down. A small step of faith to say, get off the internet. A small step of faith. And you go, all the other people are doing it. Yeah, all the other people's kids And what the church has to do is we have to understand what the basket looks like. What we're trying to protect them from. And that, and that we don't want to be like everyone else. Amen? Can we all agree that it's not working out? Can we all agree that it's not working out? So Moses' parents just said, we don't want Moses well, they, didn't even, they didn't even name him at that point. We don't want him turning out like everyone else. So all we have is this little bit of faith right now to hide him, to protect him, to not let him be exposed to, what, to, to the other things that kids are being. We have to do this now. This is our option. And as followers of Christ, we have to figure out, I'm not talking about being militant. I'm not talking about starting a commune. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying there are simple things. You heard, you heard Toby last week. There's simple things that we can start doing. Say, hey, this is what our basket looks like today. This is what hiding you looks like today. And for, for the love of God, if we as followers, if parents as followers of Christ would, would just go, I don't want you turning out like everyone else. And at the root of what was happening in Moses' parents' minds, that is what they were saying. Can't lose you the way everybody else is losing their kids. And you can read every statistic. You can talk to every school teacher. You can look at every, every gauge of anxiety and depression. And we are losing a generation of children. We are losing them. And it's time for the church to step up and make some baskets. It's time for the church to step up, step up and give play, kids a place to hide. Wait, 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 wait. We don't want you exposed to that yet. We, we don't want you exposed to that yet. We got to, look, we got to hide you for a while. So I want to challenge you. It's not easy. It's not easy. I am not standing up here this morning acting like it's easy. Beth and I raised kids before tablets. Before, before smartphones. And I look now and go, woo. Man, I would, if I was raising my kids now, I'd do things a lot different. I would unplug. Hey, there's some worms in the backyard if you guys want to go out there and eat them or whatever you want to do. 
I'd call something else the internet. I'd say, hey, yeah, the internet's in the backyard. Go play with that. I'd name the dog the internet, whatever you got to do. So they could go to school and say, yeah, I'm on the internet all the time. Buy my horse, call it the internet. The basket that Moses' mom put out, unbeknownst to her, ended up positioning Moses to fulfill God's purpose for his life. And if I can tell you one thing, the faith that you're exercising right now for your kids can position them to be able to accomplish God's will for their life. It's our job as parents not to dictate what they do, but position them for God to use them. Amen? Like when 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 they come out of our care, are they positioned to follow the will of God for their life? That's why it says, raise up a child in the way they should go. It doesn't say force them into a direction. It says position them to do the will of God. All right. So the narration in Hebrews changes. It says, hey, Moses' parents said this. This is a little bit of faith. But then what happened is Moses got old enough to make a decision for himself. And this is the, this is the joy of parenting, isn't it? When they get old enough to make the decisions for their own and you go, you got to own that one, brother. We're like, yeah, they're making their own decisions. So now we get to Moses' decision by faith. Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Even though all the things that were associated with that were, were things that everybody on the planet would have dreamed of having. And Moses makes a decision. I'll give up all the materials, all the material blessing, all the, all the things that everybody else wishes they would have. I'll give it up. I'll give it up for the purpose of God in my life. I'll give it up. Did you ever think about it that way? Did you ever think about what he gave up? Seems like, oh, well, Moses just realized he was a Hebrew one day and just went out and started being a Hebrew. It was so easy. He identified as Hebrew. No, it wasn't easy. It wasn't like walking away from a regular job. It wasn't like walking away from from something he didn't like. It was walking away from affluence. It was walking away from unimaginable wealth and power. It was walking away from something everybody on the planet would have killed to have. And when he feels the call of God on his life, as a young man, he says, I'm going to do that instead of that. It reminds me of Jesus when he feeds a large group of people. The Bible says that they come, they, that they surround him after they've all been full and they want to promote him as king. Boy, I'm telling you right now, I'm glad I'm not Jesus because I'd have been like, well, how much does that pay a year? And it says Jesus disappeared from them because, the, because he knew what their motivations were. Moses has this moment where he says, I'm, I'm going to give up all that because this is more important. It says, therefore, they said, They were punishing all these people. In Exodus chapter 1 verse 11, they were punishing all these people and Moses decided to associate with the punishment rather rather than the affluence.
let me say this this morning about the problem with the way we define faith today. Because the way we define faith today is that you have more things. A lot of the way we define it today is that I trusted God and he provided. And boy, I got a list. But actually faith, faith in Moses' life caused him to give up those things that everybody else wanted. Faith may cause you to possess more, but faith ceases when the possessions overshadow God's purpose in your life. So I need you to understand this. Yes, does faith cause you to possess more sometimes? Probably. But when, the, but, when, but when those possessions overshadow God's purpose in your life, that's not faith, that's greed. And so what Moses had clear in his head was this is, this is, this is he's sensing God's will for him over here with his people. And he's willing to give up all this stuff that we could call a blessing. That we would define as God being faithful to us. Look at where he's put me. And at some point in time, he's got to walk away from it because, because the possessions aren't, aren't as important as the purpose. Oh man, if we could understand that today. If we could under, we're such, we're, we're such a material driven society where we, where we think our purpose is in all the things. And, and what God is telling us is that, hey, listen, all the things are clouding the purpose. So sometimes we have to shed them off. Sometimes we have to get clear. And sometimes we have to move over here to where there are no things so we can get a clear head. Amen? I was um, listening to a book this week, not by, not by a Christian. I won't, I won't necessarily recommend it. Um, but several times in this person's life, they... They left everything and went out into a wilderness scenario so they'd get a clear head. And I started thinking, oh, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Because there is so much coming at us as believers. Can we just be honest? First thing I do, I get up in the morning, check the news, check the this, check that. Oh, I want to be up on everything. You know, in case I need to do something about it. No, it's just massive amounts of information and 99% of it is worthless. But I care so much about it and the things that I'm possessing, the things that I'm letting flood my mind, the things that are possessing me, the things that are just overwhelming me, keep me from the purpose that God has for me. But you know what I've been thinking about lately now? Like, hey man, I gotta figure out how to shed the possessions so I can embrace the purpose. And Moses was able to do that. As a young man, shed the possessions. I'm, listen, don't, don't, don't leave and go, do, tell your spouse, Pastor Chris told us to sell everything. He told us to sell it all. I did not say that. Get rid of the things that, that are clouding your purpose. Get rid of the things that are clouding your purpose. Moses was able to do that in a big way. All right, the last thing, stand to your feet. The band's going to come up. We're seeing this progression of faith, all right? 
The writer of Hebrews tells us because he, Moses was looking forward to this hope that he's got this faith. And we're seeing this st- progression of faith in the story. We're seeing the seemingly small faith of Moses' parents that have no idea how it's going to turn out. Then we see the faith of Moses going, hey, I'll give up all these possessions to be able to, to, be able to uh, gain the purpose that God has for me. And then the hard part. So it's all easy when you say, I'll give up the possessions for the purpose until you start being mistreated. When everybody's cheering like, oh, look, they gave it up. They're wonderful. They're vegan now. And look how clean they are. You know how it goes. We go around talking about all the things we gave up. Like, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm so much lighter. I'm so much, my mind is so much clearer. And what we do is we paint a picture like that. So everybody wants to be like us. So we could get some more people, make us feel good about ourselves. But the exact opposite thing happened to Moses. When he gave up the possessions and embraced the, the purpose, he started being not embraced, but mistreated. So you see the levels of faith here. His parents have a, a portion of faith where they say, we're just going to hide it, put him in a basket. We're going to try to orchestrate this thing, make sure he's safe. And that was that. And then Moses steps up early in his life and he says, I'm going to give up the possessions for the purpose. And then the real challenge comes when, when persecution comes to him because it says Pharaoh was chasing him down, wanting to destroy him. He ends up going to the backside of the desert, living another 40 years. And when he's mistreated, he, he still responds by faith. He decides not to run away. Not, not, to, not to leave the purpose of God. It says, choosing to, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt. For he was looking for the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He Even Moses was pointing to the future going, I believe that it's true. I believe in his promise. I believe it is, it is a sure thing. And so now I will put up with whatever happens. I will choose him. I will choose him no matter what. First Peter chapter four, we're going to end with this verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's saying, don't, don't think a difficulty in your life is strange, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. This is what the writer of Hebrews said Moses was doing. Even before Christ suffered, he said he was pointing to the suffering of Christ. He would rather participate in that than to gain the, the pleasures of sin. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. We have to change the way we think, church. We have to change the way we think. It's not just about all the things I can get, all the things I can get, and that makes me look faithful. No, it's will I follow the purpose of God no matter what? Do I have enough hope out in the future to cause me to act in faith today, to follow his purpose no matter what consequences it brings? Can I shelter my kids no matter what consequence it brings? Can I, can I make the right decision at work no matter what consequence it brings? Can I step out in faith no matter what consequence it brings? And we find out at this progression of faith, that's what Moses ended up doing. 
hey, if I get persecuted for it, I'm fine. I'm good. I'll take it. That's a challenge to us today. Listen, church. We have to understand what he's called us to. We have to understand what he's called us to and what faith actually looks like. And so I encourage you this morning, if you're walking through a difficult situation, don't just fluff it off and go, oh God, God, man, pray, start praying. God, I want to make sure I'm doing your purpose, that I notice your purpose in this circumstance. I know the faith it took me get, to get me here, but now I want to do the right thing in this circumstance, in this difficulty. I want to operate by faith. I'm not going to run away from it. So Father, we pray like that this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, first of all. We thank you for the faith that got us this far. But now, Lord, now, Lord, when we have to make big decisions, we pray that that same faith would carry us through. Lord, that, Lord, we have to make a decision between possessions and purpose, Lord, I pray that that we'd have that hope sitting in front of us to give us assurance. Lord, fill us with faith today, Lord. Fill us with faith to do your will. Fill us with faith to fulfill your purpose. And we pray that our lives